Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello, and welcome to The Gadget Lab. My name is Arielle Pardes, I'm an editor at Wired, and this is the podcast where we talk about the latest gadgets, apps, and technologies that you need to know about and how they impact our lives. My co-hosts, Mike Calori and Lauren Good, are each out of the office this week. Mike is in Arizona, Lauren's in France. You can drop them each a line on Twitter to hear about how their travels are going. But in the meantime, we've still got a show. And since it's no fun to talk about the news alone, we're going to go ahead and skip our weekly news whip and get straight into the only thing that matters, which is Facebook and the foray into cryptocurrency. That's right, this week we're devoting the entire show to Libra, the most ambitious crypto plan since Bitcoin. We'll have Greg Barber, a staff writer at Wired, joining us on the show this week. He's been covering Libra for weeks now and will tell you everything you need to know about the state of crypto, Mark Zuckerberg's vision for Libra, and the future of money on Facebook. I have to say, if I had a Bitcoin for every time someone asked me about Libra at a party in these past few weeks, I I would be richer than Jeff Bezos, which is how I know that there are a lot of unanswered questions, which we're going to try to get to right here, right now on this podcast. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Greg Barber to talk about Libra. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.
Greg Barber is a staff writer at Wired who covers blockchain, AI, tech policy, and most recently, Libra. Greg, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks, Ariel. So let's start at the very beginning. What is Libra and how long has Facebook been cooking this up? So Libra is Facebook's big attempt to get into finance. Um, It's a blockchain-based network that's going to have a coin that's called Libra. Um, And what they've done is kind of unusual. They've um, basically brought in 28 different companies, and this includes PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, um, as well as NGOs like Mercy Corps and Kiva, um, and also some of the really big businesses that you interact every day, uh, like Uber and Lyft um, and Spotify. And the idea is that all these companies are going to interact on this blockchain-based network, and they're going to have one currency that they can use to, um, in really whatever way they they want. Um, it could be used to spend money on their platforms. You know, maybe they'll set up wallets where you can store your money. Um, but also, this is a big thing for Facebook itself. They want payments on their system. Uh, they've uh, been looking to integrate into WhatsApp and Instagram and um, basically getting into commerce. Um, so it's kind of this strange two-sided system where they're saying that they've set up this big network with lots of other businesses, but really it's kind of Facebook's effort at heart. Right. And even though there are many partners involved in getting Libra off the ground, it is something that originated within Facebook and Facebook is sort of owning the idea. Is that right? Exactly. So this goes back to late 2017. Um, and it's really the brainchild of one Facebook executive. His name's David Marcus. Um, and he was, prior to heading this blockchain-based effort, uh, he was the head of uh, Facebook Messenger. And before that, he actually came from uh, PayPal. Um, and he's actually pretty transparent uh, when he talks about this, that this idea really came out of PayPal. Um, really, the early days of PayPal, back when Peter Thiel was um, really big in that company. Um, this idea that this you could have this kind of uh, financial network that lived outside of the typical realm of central banks, and you could transact with anyone in the world um, through a private network that theoretically at the time would have been PayPal's. Mm. Um, but now he's really getting to execute his vision on of all places, Facebook. Um, So this has been in development for about two years. Um, And at the start, we didn't really know much about it, uh, what was going on. But over time, as gradually different details started to come out about what was going on, um, start off with this kind of mysterious thing, like what is Facebook going to do with blockchain? Um, There were some hints kind of along the way. They they bought a company um, uh, earlier this year that was um, specialized in uh, making blockchain technology a lot faster. Um, and that kind of gave some hints that, oh, these, these ambitions are actually maybe something that, that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and really, actually, originally, the thought behind it was that Facebook would be interested in doing things like remittance payments um, on WhatsApp. Um, so that's when you send money across borders. Um, and the idea was that maybe they would pilot this in India because uh, the company was already working on payments um, for WhatsApp um, in a non-blockchain-based form. So that was the original idea, is this idea that you know, you're know you already talking to your friends and family on WhatsApp, on Facebook. Um, so maybe now you can start sending money to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really emerged, and I think was surprising to a lot of people and comes off as pretty audacious for Facebook, is that this is you know really a, a global financial network that's involving lots of big businesses and potentially has the you know it has the potential to um, you know 
be a kind of a big financial network on its own. Right. So so why the move to do something so ambitious and in the cryptocurrency realm versus just doing something that is a sort of peer-to-peer payment system, which would have been easy and probably profitable for Facebook? Why why take this sort of um, this big bite out of the financial market? Yeah, so this is really the, the million dollar, or maybe I should say million Libra question. <laughs> um, this, so one interesting aspect of this, and this goes back to, to something that I said at the beginning, is that um, Facebook is really interested in this idea of this at least appearing not to be Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and blockchain technology, it's all about decentralization. It's about having lots and lots of different players involved to kind of share the power equally, and you don't have to trust anybody else in, in the system. Um, so in Facebook's case, blockchain is kind of, you know, I, I think some people would say that it serves a sort of rhetorical device for them. Um, they can set up a system where they have, you know, lots of different members and um, everyone has an equal share and they've set up an association that's going to be based in Geneva um, with all these companies and they hope to expand it to 100 companies by the time that the, um, the network launches. And this kind of, you know, it gives them a little bit of protection from this idea that um, you know, people are obviously wary of Facebook uh, potentially going into their financial data and um, you know, having this kind of power in the, the financial system. Um, so, so that's one aspect of it, is a sort of rhetorical one. Um, the second, so thinking more about the practicalities of using blockchain, uh, this is also a pretty big debate. Um, so. Yeah, I've said 28 members a couple times, and that's really interesting in blockchain because when you compare it to things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, those can have unlimited members. So basically everyone, anybody can set up what's called a node on their uh, computer, and you can you sort of play an equal role in different things, like if the network needs to be updated, you kind of each, each person's computing power. Um, will sort of serve as kind of way of voting on whether changes happen and things like that. I should say that's for a reason, because it means that nobody in the system needs to trust each other. Um, it means that these updates can happen and you don't need to rely on any central authority. Um, but when you limit it to 28 members, you may not have to trust Facebook as one of those 28 members, but you do have to trust the 28 members. And for Facebook, there's a certain advantage to that, because it means that Things can be more efficient if you only have 28 members. You can, um, you don't have to rely on trusting some average Joe who's, you know, running a, a node in this network. Um, basically, you know, Facebook and a company like PayPal, who's also a member of the association, they may not trust each other as business mm-hmm. partners, but they do trust each other not to at least commit fraud. Right. Um, so that allows Facebook and its partners to really speed up some of the transactions on the network. It means that they can kind of get around some of the um, really complex technology that's happening behind the scenes to um, keep a network like Bitcoin secure. Um, it means, basically, as some would say, that maybe it's not even a blockchain at all. Um, and that's the that's been the big question, I think, for a lot of people who have been watching the cryptocurrency space for a long time. Right. So I, I want to actually get into some of <laughs> some of how Libra is designed to function, because it is quite different from cryptocurrencies we've seen in the past, right? Like it functions differently than, than Bitcoin or Ethereum, but it also functions differently than 
sending money on PayPal. Um, maybe let's start with that Bitcoin distinction, because I think when people hear about blockchain or about cryptocurrency, that's the first thing they think of is this uh, imaginary coin that is very valuable and its value is very volatile and it's anonymous and maybe associated with drugs. <laughs> um, but that's that's very different than Libra, or at least the idea of Libra. Can you maybe help paint some of the differences between those two and maybe how to think about Libra in the context of cryptocurrency. Yeah, so there are a lot of differences. So one of them is the the one that I just mentioned where um, Bitcoin has unlimited membership in its nodes and anybody can participate. Um, and this allows this kind of trustless system where um, you don't need to rely on any particular person to um, that they're gonna not going to swindle you on the network. Um, and then by contrast, uh, Libra has the system where um, you only have 28 members. Um, so, and what's interesting about that is that, so Bitcoin relies on this really complex computations in order to keep the system secure. Libra doesn't have that. They don't need it. Um, and so this is one really big issue in systems like Bitcoin is that um, the costs of doing transactions are really high. Um, because you need to use all this computing power. Um, you might have heard of the, um, you know, these giant sort of Bitcoin mining farms in yes. China using tremendous <laughs> amounts of energy. You don't need any of that because you can trust the other members of the association. So that's one really big difference. Um, the other one is in the value and the volatility. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously Bitcoin is backed by nothing. Um, it's backed by the um, sort of what people think that Bitcoin should be valued and um, based off of their interest and in transactions and the computational power and all that. Which is how you get these coins that are worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. one day and then drop thousands of dollars the next yep. and then jump back up the next. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we've been seeing that in, in full form the past uh, two weeks. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so in the case of Libra, it's actually going to be backed by real world currency. So to start, Libra is basically going to be pegged one-to-one -one with the U.S. dollar. And that's not because it's backed by U.S. dollars alone. It'll also be backed by other currencies, maybe the euro, for example, the yen, um, and uh, assets denominated in those currencies that are going to be really stable. Hmm. And those assets are going to be stored in banks all over the world. Facebook and its uh, fellow members are going to, still figuring out exactly how that's all going to work. But the bottom line is that it's not going to have that same kind of volatility that you would um, see in a currency like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, what is interesting, though, is thinking about how this is going to be used around the world. Hmm. And this is potentially going to be a pretty big issue that the Libra Association is going to have to figure out. Real-world currencies aren't necessarily stable with each other. So particularly in, say, developing countries that may not have as stable of a monetary policy as Europe or the U.S., and this is an area where Facebook has actually explicitly said that they would like to see uh, Libra adopted, um, you're going to have pretty w big fluctuations between, say, for example, the South African rand and the U.S. dollar. That, that fluctuation is also going to happen with Libra. Um, so it'll be a really interesting kind of almost design problem for Facebook to figure out how do you keep that currency usable in the local countries where uh, they want Libra to be used. Um, and how do you kind of operate at the margins of the system where people want to transfer their local cash into Libra? Right. Um, and 
also, beyond that, what sort of impact that has on those countries. Um, and that's something that we saw in the past week or so um, with a couple of uh, central bank um, officials pushing back around the world, asking, you know, if Libra is actually really successfully adopted, then what does that mean for an emerging economy where people might dump their local currency into Libra um, and basically cause more volatility in those right. countries um, for people who aren't using Libra? Right. And, and sort of, uh, yeah, at the expense of local economies and at the profit of Facebook and exactly. its friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's get into some of the regulatory questions here. Um, you wrote a great story just this week about um, some of the, the skepticism that people have raised around the concept of Libra. And that skepticism isn't just coming from people saying, I don't trust Facebook, I don't trust Mark Zuckerberg. It's also coming from the Federal Reserve. Um, what are some of the criticisms or concerns that have been raised at the regulatory level? Yeah, so it's been really interesting to see this develop because I think you saw, at least at the beginning, this kind of knee-jerk reaction that you would expect um, to, oh, wait, Facebook wants to get into my mm. financial data? That's crazy. Yeah, no thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was centered on issues around privacy and around, um, I think, antitrust too. Uh, just the idea of this company getting into um a place that it traditionally hasn't really touched, um, but, but but mainly privacy. Um, <laughs> and it's been interesting to see as people have kind of awakened to, I think, and also because regulators are a little bit slower and more considered and kind of wrapping their heads around, around these issues, um, actually sort of exploring the notion of Libra as developing into a kind of banking network around the world. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen responses from officials in a couple countries. Um, recently, a, um, an executive at the um, European Central Bank um, noted this issue of how Facebook, or Libra, I should say, really can't operate in this kind of void outside of traditional central banks. Mm-hmm. And that this was really an unprecedented kind of issue. Um, that people haven't had to, people just haven't had to grapple with the idea of private companies um, really getting into monetary policy. So earlier this week, we had uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell appear before the House Financial Services Committee. And he said that he really had many serious concerns about Libra in this context of financial stability. What would it mean for U.S. financial institutions if you have a big player that's kind of standing outside of government? Um, And it'll be really interesting to see what kinds of measures are put forward to really corral the the potential of um of a system like that yeah it it's interesting as you just said this is sort of unprecedented and you can sort of already feel that um anxiety sort of bubbling up that there there is no template for how to deal with something like this your your story this week mentioned that um among the other concerns the federal reserve has questions about privacy about consumer protections, about money laundering, and and then there's this question about risks to global financial stability, which are very big concerns, but very far flung from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and fig- figuring out a way to approach that seems quite daunting. Um, has anyone raised potential solutions at this point, or is it mostly just regulators raising questions and concerns to sort of be solved at a later date? Yeah, so I, it's been a decent amount of hemming and hawing at this point. Um, I, I think, um, you know, one interesting thing, so uh, earlier um, 
uh, actually really just within hours of Libra's announcement, um, you had Representative Maxine Waters calling for a moratorium on uh, the development of, of uh, Libra within Facebook, um, basically calling for them to stop developing the technology while they address concerns of Congress. But um, there was a question of sort of like what sort of teeth does particularly one congresswoman have or even a group of uh, members of Congress. Um, and I think one way of looking at that is just as a signal to regulators, because Facebook is actively talking to, I'm sure, you know, half a dozen agencies within the U.S., uh, federal government, not to mention hmm. 50 um, state agencies because they have to register as a money transmitter. Um, you know, there's this enormous complexity to setting yourself up as a banking institution. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting, yeah, to see a company that really hasn't had to operate in this sort of framework, um, uh, how they go about doing that. Yeah, it, it sounds like part of what you're saying is that Facebook's play here is not so much to compete with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, but it's actually to compete with these traditional financial institutions like banks themselves. Exactly. Which is kind of wild. It is. It is. Um, yeah. And it's also, I mean, just to think of Facebook as the company to do it is a kind of a, an, amazing, uh, is an amazing fact in itself. Yeah. Going back to Bitcoin for one second and, and other cryptocurrencies, um, it seems, as I just said, like the threat is maybe more on the banking side and less on the crypto side. Um, but the introduction of, of Libra has caused some ripples in the crypto world. Um, what's the sort of reaction and response there? It's incredibly polarized. Uh, I think you have many people who are quite excited about a company like Facebook jumping into crypto. Um, they think that it'll lend credibility to the entire space. Um, uh, you, you, uh, it's interesting, uh, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss uh, of early Facebook fame and betrayal and all that. Um, they're actually uh, two uh, people who have kind of come out with the rising ships as with rising water, waters or whatever metaphor I just botched. Um, <laughs> rising tides lift all ships? Yes, there we go. Like that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> A rising Libra coin raises all values of coins. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and, you know, also even in the membership of the Libra Association, you have companies like Coinbase. Mm. Um, and they've, um, you know, they were pretty early in the cryptocurrency exchange business. Um, they've really touted their sort of adherence to regulations and to being kind of a uh, home for the sort of mainstream consumer who might otherwise feel uncomfortable with uh, cryptocurrency. So it's not surprising to see a company like that hop onto this um, and, uh, you know, see this as something that could lift up their business. Mm. Um, but then on the other side, I mean, you have people basically saying this is a dystopian nightmare. Um, <laughs> and that's given, you know, the Given, as I said before, the the sort of, I think many people perceive the structure of Libra as a kind of abandonment of the things that make blockchain unique. Mm. And this is the idea that you don't need to trust any particular institution. Um, and so Facebook coming in to say, hey, trust us, um, is, is pretty perverse in their, uh, in their eyes. Um, and also it's been interesting to see the impact on Bitcoin recently. Um, we talked about the crazy volatility recently. Um, and some people are pointing to Libra's impact on that, that maybe given that the volatility is mostly a rise, that perhaps is 
put Bitcoin and cryptocurrency back in the public eye um, that, uh, you know, now mainstream investors might be more interested in that once again. Um, there's some kind of other behind the scenes things happening in the crypto world that um, related to a, a, another stable, so-called stable coin called Tether um, that may be drawing that more. Um, we don't need to go into that <laughs> too much detail, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely sort of shifted the focus back onto cryptocurrency, mm. which in the past six months to a year has been going through what many term the crypto winter, um, the sort of period of uh, just not that much interest in cryptocurrency. This kind of question of, oh, blockchain, is that going to go anywhere? Uh, you know, you see the value of all these coins decreasing, some of them falling off the map. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that many people are excited within the crypto space are excited to see this this kind of glaring attention put back on their, their industry. That raises an interesting point, though, um, which is that blockchain has almost become this parody of itself. And there, there's almost this sense that blockchain is like a solution in search of a problem, as I think you once put it. Um, and cryptocurrency hasn't become as pervasive as I think people may have predicted years ago. Uh, you've been covering the crypto world for some time now. Do you still feel optimistic that that is the future of money? Or do you think that um, Libra may befall the same fate as some of these other coins in sort of trying to gain traction from regular people. Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting to see if Libra sort of befalls the same fate of other cryptocurrency. Um, because at, at the moment, and it's still very early, Libra does not actually even exist as a technology yet. Um, it only exists at least in some kind of initial code that people can play with and mm -hmm. test, but certainly not an, a usable system. Really at the outset, I mean, the concerns are mainly about regulations and it's about you know banking and uh, sort of, can Facebook actually accomplish what it intends to do? Um, as Facebook. Um, whereas in the case of other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, the question is really more about, well, are these technologies actually useful? Mm -hmm. And can they be useful to ordinary people? Um, and that's, you know, that technological question is still kind of up in the air at this point. And it's even a question that Libra will have to face too, because um, one thing that kind of to appease the crypto purists out there, um, and I think maybe in part to bring some people on board to their um, to their project, there's definitely a talent war in the blockchain world. Um, you know, Facebook has actually promised that they're going to move towards the kind of truly decentralized model that we see in Bitcoin and Ethereum within five years. And that's also pending a lot of technological breakthroughs. Um, so it'll be, I mean, it's very unclear whether they'll get to that five-year point at this point. Um, but um, really only then, I think, will we kind of arrive at the same sort of question. They almost feel like just very different animals at this point um, mm. and sort of heading towards different fates that may not even be that intertwined. Right. Given that Libra is still quite far off from being a real thing that we can use to, I don't know, send our parents money or buy coffee or whatever Facebook thinks you're going to use it for. Um, I think it can feel a little bit intangible, like hearing about it in terms of like what it's supposed to be used for or Facebook's vision. Do you have a sense of how Mark Zuckerberg thinks people will actually be using it? 
in the future. Yeah, well, you can already see some hints of what Facebook has been looking to do, just even in the rhetoric of, of Mark Zuckerberg going back um, pretty much back to the beginning of when they started developing Libra, um, there was already this kind of talk of, oh, we want to bring commerce on Facebook. We want um, some sort of, you know, the future of payments. There was just this language that was sort of slipped in from time to time at um, things like Facebook's developer conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to start off, um, their main interest is really in this cross-border payment space. And that's really where the blockchain technology comes in, this idea that you don't need to convert between two local currencies because you have this one intermediary currency, which is uh, Libra. Um, So that's the sort of initial use case. You can see this in uh, Facebook's recent releases of more tools to bring in small businesses and things like Facebook Marketplace and putting up inventories on Facebook um, of different goods you can sell. I'm looking for a bike right now, and it's been a lifesaver. Um, <laughs> so uh, always lock your bikes in downtown San Francisco, by the way. Um, so um, you, know, you can already see the kind of obvious use cases there for Facebook of actually, instead of just listing your bike, then you could just pay for it in Libra um, on the platform. So those are the kind of small fries, very obvious things that you, know, you can tell that Facebook is looking at other competitors, like for, um, even in China, uh, WeChat already has um, a really, really well integrated payments platform into their social media. Um, it's you know it's sort of the the one stop shop for um, for payments and friends and and all that. Um, so that seems like the most obvious way for Facebook to start. That's that seems like a a perspective future that makes a lot of people nervous. Indeed, <laughs> the yes. idea that, that that Facebook is modeling itself after um, WeChat sends a little shiver down my spine. But um, the last question I have for you uh, is a very simple one, but one that has been weighing on me since I heard this announced. Why do they call it Libra? Facebook has a pretty convoluted reason for calling it Libra, just like everything involved in Libra. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a comparison to the ancient Roman unit of measure, which is apparently where the British pound comes from as well. Mm. Um, and uh, the astrological symbol, of course, um, as Ariel uh, knows all about. Yes, speaking uh, as an astrology devotee, I would have to say that Libra is not the sign I would name my cryptocurrency after personally, but to each their own. Well, if you're going for fairness, I guess it's okay, uh, since it's the the symbol that has the scales of justice. That's right, that's right. Uh, And uh, finally, it's phonetic resemblance to the French Libre, meaning free. And we should note that David Marcus is a native French speaker. Well, there you go. Um, Greg, thank you so much for all of that wonderful information. We're going to take a very quick break and then come back with recommendations. So, Greg, every week on the show, we ask our guests to recommend something to our listeners that they love. It could be a book, a film, a gadget, an app, um, a life experience, a cryptocurrency. Uh, What have you been enjoying lately? Not cryptocurrency, thankfully. (laughs) Um, So I have been uh, in a quest to re-engage with Duolingo, which is the language learning app. Um, I've had many failed attempts in the past. Uh, tried to learn Irish. That did not go well at all. <laughs> a lot of garbling. Um, I tried to rekindle my French. Uh, did not go well either. Um, and finally, I'm trying to learn Arabic. Um, and it's going surprisingly well. I would say that they have 
pretty good lessons on there. They've, uh, they've really drummed it up. Um, so I am excited about that. It's That's my new awesome. evening hobby. What is your Duolingo streak right now? Ooh, I apparently did not complete my streak on Tuesday. So I guess one. Oh, no. <laughs> one, of, uh, one of my favorite little tricks that Duolingo has is that um, for, for, if you're listening and you're not familiar, Duolingo encourages you to use the app every day. And um, every consecutive day that you use it, your sort of streak number gets higher. So it encourages you to return to the app. Um, there's something very very upsetting about losing a long streak and one of the genius things they've built in is a way to buy back your streak as long as it's within 24 hours and the payment goes to I think just back to Duolingo or perhaps it's donated to some kind of charity but it's it's like a very low amount of money that I think is probably well worth it <laughs> to like get back a you know 100 200 day streak luckily I will never have a streak that long <laughs> <laughs> so I will not be sending any money back to Duolingo sorry guys uh, Duolingo that's great um, my recommendation this week is a book it is called the most human human what artificial intelligence teaches us about being alive have you read this? I have not. It is, it's a bit old. Um, I think it's it's from 2010 maybe, um, but it is a, a book about the Loebner Prize, which is this competition that takes place every year to basically beat the Turing test. So people prepare these artificial intelligent programs, they're, they're chatbots, and they send them to a panel of judges who have these five-minute chat conversations, and then the judges try to determine if they're speaking to a human or a computer. Um, and every year they get more advanced, they get more interesting, um, and you know the state of AI progresses. But um, the book really centers on the other part of this contest, which is being a human who is put before a judge. Um, and the judge has to decide if it's a human or a computer. And uh, the, the author, who is Brian Christensen, is one of these human contestants who's trying to prove his humanity to a panel of judges, um, lest he be mistaken for an advanced chatbot script. And it's, it's sort of this beautiful story of AI and machine intelligence, but also about like what it means to really be human. Um, and he, so he weaves in all kinds of cool stuff about computers, but also really cool philosophy stuff, um, psychology stuff, and, and really arrives at this like beautiful discussion on what it means to be human. Um, I was just on a, a very long road trip, and this was the audiobook that we'd selected for, for the drive, and it just was something I looked forward to, to playing in the car, like every time I got back in the car. So I highly recommend it. I'll check it out. Please do. Um, Greg, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Gregory J. Barber. Wonderful. I am at Pardesoteric. Uh, you can bling all of us at Gadget Lab. And Mike, Lauren, and I will be back next week for another show.
Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.